The SEC does not bring criminal actions against companies or executives for violating the securities laws. It's the Department of Justice, but it is the SEC that calls upon the Department of Justice to bring criminal charges in certain situations, but it almost always involves fraud, securities fraud, which means making misrepresentations or lying to investors. Welcome to a Bit Cryptic Podcast, where we interview top crypto experts to take you down the rabbit hole into the world of cryptocurrency. Now, it's time to get a bit cryptic. Howdy, y'all. I'm currently visiting Louisiana, and I feel myself developing a country accent. I swear this is not on purpose. <clears throat> okay, so before beginning today's episode, I have some announcements. First, I'm going to be at the Blockchain World Conference from July 11th to 13th in Atlantic City. If you want to meet up, please send me a tweet at Keep It Cryptic. We now also have an Instagram, too, with that same username. Second, we're looking for an intern. So if you are passionate about crypto and like what we do on the podcast, and you also know a thing or two about social media, drop us a line at Twitter or Instagram, username Keep It Cryptic. So in today's episode, we are chatting with the extremely knowledgeable Dr. Douglas Park, who has both a PhD and a GD, and is an experienced crypto lawyer, advisor, and former business school professor. In today's episode, we dig into if it's possible for a security token to somehow transform later on into a utility token, how non-blockchain companies can still raise money by creating security tokens, how to keep yourself from going to jail as a crypto entrepreneur, the best countries currently to set up your blockchain company, how the U.S. is going to become crypto sexy once again, and why it's exchanges that are going to drive security tokens to be the new dominant cryptos by the end of 2018. Today is very much geared more towards the entrepreneurial inclined, so if that's not your shtick, uh, then I'm sorry, I'll have to wait for a little more relevant episode for next week. But for all those of you who are considering maybe uh, starting a crypto company or interested in that side of things, you should really enjoy this episode. So let's get right to it. Hey, Cryptonauts, welcome to a Bit Cryptic podcast. This is your host, Jeff Peterson, and today I'm with my co-host, Alain Leon. What's going on, Alain? Not much, just hanging out. And we are hanging out with not just anybody today. We are hanging out with Dr. Douglas Park, the doctoral and legal superstar. He's both an MD, sorry, not an MD, a JD and a PhD, which is a little ridiculous. Clearly, the man is uh, likes to learn, and uh, we love having people like that on our show. So we're really excited to have you on the show today, Dr. Park. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. It's a real honor. You have a lot of background that I think would be cool to kind of expound upon for the audience before we dig in a little more to your uh, to your more crypto-specific experience. Could you tell us a little bit about your background? I'd be happy to. I'm a corporate and securities attorney focused on blockchain and crypto legal issues right now. And I have legal experience in financing transactions, corporate and securities, law, corporate governance, advising boards of directors, and general corporate matters, as well as other transactions such as mergers and acquisitions. Before that, I was a professor of business 
and I taught corporate strategy, entrepreneurship, and organizational behavior at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. And I've also taught at Stanford University, taught uh, starting startups at Stanford and multiple accelerators and incubators in the San Francisco Bay Area. So basically, you love business and you love the way it interacts with regulation and the law and love teaching the world about it, essentially, and helping people with it. Yes, that, that's a great way to put it. I, I'm always trying to integrate my background and experience in both law and business when I'm working with entrepreneurs and other clients. I really feel that it's very difficult in many situations to try to separate the two. And I'm even when I'm just advising on legal issues, I always try to bring in my business experience and uh, what I've learned from teaching business, but also uh, doing management and strategy consulting on issues of organizational change and organizational culture and innovation and uh, strategy execution and trying to uh, give better legal advice. Well, I would say it's uh, very difficult to separate the two right now in the crypto world. You mean legal and, uh, and business? Uh, yes, that's Correct. exactly what I yeah. mean. Right now, you're having all these discussions with the SEC and is it a security or not? A lot of the startups don't know what to do. They're thinking, do you know? Can we do this in the U.S.? Do we have to go elsewhere? So it's it's right now the the crypto world is definitely um, dealing with those two issues. Yeah, and and from what I've seen, uh, it's it's kind of crypto's in a regulation hellhole right now, unless you're Ethereum or Bitcoin, which got a kind of a green light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I've heard different opinions from from every single lawyer I've talked to. So I'm sure you have a strong opinion, Dr. Park, and, and have butted a lot of heads with a lot of people. Or maybe not. Maybe you have a, a group of people that you... I don't know. How, how do you advise companies legally? How does that work? Well, What do you usually tell them? Yeah, you know, I think it'd be helpful for me to talk a little bit about what kind of legal issues I advise on. Uh, so in blockchain and crypto... I advise on various types of token sales, token offerings, including airdrops and both security tokens and utility tokens. We also advise companies on how to get listed on crypto exchanges. We, for instance, write legal opinions regarding the company's tokens in terms of whether they are likely to be securities or not and supporting companies' applications to crypto exchanges. A lot of crypto exchanges ask for that kind of legal memo or opinion from companies who want to get their tokens listed. We also have represented a number of companies who have been investigated by the Securities and Exchange Commission, as well as state securities regulators. And many of those investigations are just really information gathering exercises where the SEC or state regulator wants to know what the company actually did in its token sale and they want to learn more about the properties of the company's token. In addition, we advise a couple of crypto exchanges that are in formation. We advise a number of uh, crypto investment funds. We also now recently started uh, representing some very large corporations who are interested in initiating their own blockchain 
activities. Some of them are very large. Uh, one of them has almost 200 business units across the world, and a number of their business units are interested in trying to see how implementing blockchain in some part of their business model could help them be more effective or efficient or better serve and interact with their customers and suppliers. So I advise on a really wide range of issues when it comes to blockchain and crypto. Now, Doug, one of the things you said is that um, you provide a legal, legal opinion on whether a token is a security or not, and that's a very hot topic in this industry right now. Sometimes it's difficult to say, or, or at least... Uh, can I add to that last answer? Sure. So I also advise a number of ICO advisory firms, and those firms help companies work through issues in terms of marketing their token sale and token economics, issues like that. But these advisory firms often face many legal and compliance issues themselves. And so we help them go work through those issues and understand what risks they face in working with companies who are doing token sales. What are what are some of the big risks and, and challenges that specifically that these companies face? Well, sometimes they are reluctant to, and, and it depends on how they are structured and what kind of licenses and approvals they have, but sometimes they are not able to work with companies who are issuing security tokens. Because in order to work with companies that are issuing security tokens, you need to either be a registered broker-dealer or be affiliated with a registered broker-dealer so that you can work with uh, security tokens. So that that's one issue that they're very concerned about. They're very concerned about this whole classification of a token as a security token or as not a security token. For the newbie audience members out there, there's utility tokens and security tokens. Utility means that they're meant to be kind of like airline miles where they're used for something and have a purpose and are quote unquote, you know, useful and not meant to gain value necessarily. And then security is meant to be more like a, more like a stock ish, but I guess it's a little more complex than that. And so what is, what does a broker dealer mean exactly? So I'm, I'm not familiar with that term. Well, a broker-dealer has to be licensed with the regulators in the United States. And if you are a broker-dealer, you are allowed to sell securities. So the security tokens, if you're going to help sell them and market them, you need to be a registered broker-dealer. And so as more and more companies are thinking about selling security tokens, the ICO advisory firms are now wondering whether or not they should either obtain a broker-dealer license themselves or affiliate themselves with their broker-dealer that they can work with on these token sales. Now, a lot of a lot of the tech companies, they're usually just a bunch of you know, techie guys that are putting this together. A lot of them see this as a, as a big regulatory hurdle. Broker-dealer licenses, I'm guessing they don't come around easily. And today we've we found out even that there's sort of another level, you know, with Ethereum, we found out that it is possible that 
that a token could be considered a security, but then later on it, it, is, it is no longer a security. I'm not quite sure how that happens. So I guess my question is twofold. Is it that big of a regulatory hurdle? What kind of impact do you perhaps, since you're in, in this field, see regarding that? And do you have anything to say about a token starting out as a security and then ending up not as a security? So let me start with the last part of the question. Is there a way for a token that starts off as a security to end up not being one? And there have been people, including an official from the SEC, who has said that and has hinted at that. However, there, if you look at it and if you look at the speeches, there's really not much legal reasoning or analysis as to how that can happen. With traditional securities, that is stock or shares in a company, it's, it would be really difficult to imagine a situation where that security would turn into something other than a security as, you know, as long as it still existed and represented shares in the company. Now, the analogy to a security token isn't perfect, but there has been some suggestion, for instance, that if the platform and the token ecosystem is sufficiently developed technologically and also from the standpoint of the token having a lot of utility within the platform, then perhaps at that point in time, the token might not be a security anymore. But again, this, if you think about it, this, is, this has parallels and similarities to the reasoning behind the SAFT. The SAFT, as some of you may know, is the, a simple agreement for future tokens. This was a very popular way to sell tokens in late 2000 up to early 2008. However, the SEC is actually now investigating the SAFT and companies that have used the SAFT. And the law firms that came up with the idea of the SAFT and promoted it to their clients. So hmm. there's real questions as to whether or not the SAFT is a, was a legitimate way to sell tokens. But the idea behind the SAFT was that initially the SAFT was a security, but later on, once the token had utility, at that point in time, the company would actually issue and distribute the tokens and the tokens would be utility tokens and not securities. So in many ways, it's very similar to the question that you're asking. But the SEC has serious questions about whether the SAFT was legally valid. So hmm. if you extend, use that same kind of logic, the SEC should have to, would have to come up with a different reasoning for explaining why a security token could later turn into or transform into a non-security token. Now, specifically with respect to Ethereum, you know, today uh, an SEC official said kind of unofficially that Ethereum, he does not believe that Ethereum is a security. And he gave some reasons. 
I'm not going to go into all of the reasons right now because they're very complicated from a legal perspective. But I'll simply say this. If you look at the vast majority of company tokens, and I mean 99.9%, 99.9% of all company tokens will never meet the criteria that the SEC official talked about today when he was talking about why he believes Ethereum is probably not a security. Now, I want to be very clear that the SEC official statement today is not the true position of the SEC. It is simply... So what is that, his opinion? It's his opinion, okay? Okay, yeah. And in fact, when SEC officials give speeches about blockchain, cryptocurrency, and all of these issues, there's always a disclaimer that says... The remarks given today do not represent the actual position of the SEC and are only the opinion of the speaker. So you're saying that this is not at all official? No, it's and, not. Yeah, and it it's is not. essentially not a settled matter. So perhaps because there's a it lot of not. chatter out there and all the sites and everybody saying, well, you know, this clears Ethereum and so on and so forth. But you're saying it may not be that way at all. Absolutely. In fact, you know, I, I posted on Facebook today a story about these comments. And the, the headline said, Ethereum is not a security according to the SEC. And I posted that article, but I prefaced it by saying, the headline is misleading, but read what the SEC official actually said because it's very interesting. So, hmm. you know... Right now, people are looking at every single statement that the SEC or the Commodity Futures Trading Commission is saying about tokens and cryptocurrency, but a lot of because people want guidance, okay? They want clarity, and unfortunately, in the United States, that doesn't exist right now because the regulators are still trying to figure out what's going on and what what uh, guidelines or rules, if any, need to be made that are specific to crypto. So there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of hype right now, okay? And yeah. people just, there's like a frenzy. You know, the story, these comments come out and people get all excited. I understand yeah. the excitement, but, you know, my job as a lawyer is to try to be... Uh, logical and rational and apply legal reasoning and analysis when I talk to clients and I give talks to audiences about these issues. So that's a that was that that's a perfect segue because remember when I first asked it was a two-part question and the first part had to do with the uncertainty the the, the regulatory uncertainty and it, obviously not clear right so is that in your opinion you're you're in in the valley where a lot of technology happens uh, where a lot of startups take place what kind of effect is this having on ICOs and in companies that want to that that they sort of they want to open up here in the US uh, in your opinion well what it's causing a lot of companies to do who are interested in doing ICOs or token sales 
is to ask questions about how can they reduce the potential legal risk they face in doing a token sale. And that does sometimes mean that they need to think about alternatives to doing a token sale from the United States, doing yeah. one from other countries. I've heard Singapore is a, or, or the Caribbean is always a hot option for a lot of companies because of all the regulations that are unclear in the US, all the risks involved. Yes. And so the most common countries that our clients end up getting, uh, end up considering doing a token sale from are uh, not in any particular order. Singapore, Cayman Islands, British Virgin Islands, Switzerland, Gibraltar, Malta. Um, those seem to be the most common countries other than the United States from which companies are doing token sales from. And some of those countries have ICO-specific regulations, crypto-specific regulations, where there's actually more legal and regulatory clarity and certainty than in the United States. So if you had if you had a suggestion to give to the SEC, sort of to help uh, clear the air to say, what what would it be? I think the SEC has so far simply said the existing securities laws apply to token offerings. Okay, but at the same time, they've made suggestions and statements like, well, a security token might at some point in time no longer be a security if certain things happen. But that's not really consistent with existing securities laws. So if they want to make the kind of statement that a security token can transform into a utility token, they're going to have to provide written guidance to U.S. companies as to why that could happen and provide some legal analysis and reasoning. And that will actually provide a lot of comfort and confidence in uh, entrepreneurs to doing a token sale from the U.S., from a U.S. entity, as opposed to having to create very elaborate corporate legal structures to do an ICO from outside of the United States. And ultimately, you know, if you think about it, the, the SEC is most concerned about protecting investors from fraud. And if you look at pretty much all of the enforcement actions that they have brought against companies who have done token sales, all of those enforcement actions, except for one, has involved securities fraud. Okay. What, so, do, you, what do you mean by that, securities fraud? Well, meaning that during the marketing and promotion of the token sale, the company made misrepresentations or flat out lied about the company, about the token, about how the proceeds were going to be used. So in one case, there was this company who claimed they had all of these partnerships with banks, with many banks in the United States. That simply was not true. Okay, I mean, that was just a very obvious case of the company lying to the purchasers of the tokens. 
And so the SEC brought an enforcement action, forced the company to return all of the money that they had raised. And in that case, the SEC also, together with the Department of Justice, decided to bring criminal charges against the entrepreneurs for making those uh, making up those lies about the token sale. So I have a follow-up question to that. So obviously it's important that we're bringing down the hammer on um, a lot of these companies that are committing securities frauds. What do you think is going to happen though to some of these companies that are more of the legal gray area that are trying their best to follow regulation, but you know, maybe they did a saft or some sort of uh, some sort of thing that ends up going against what the SEC wants later on. Do you think a lot of these companies are going to end up in hot water? Do you think people are going to go to jail for trying to follow things, but it just wasn't clear enough? What, what do you think are some of the uh, possible outcomes that are realistic for, for some of these companies? Yeah, so they're not likely to face criminal liability. They're not likely to face jail time if they made good faith efforts to try to comply with the securities laws, but for whatever reason, they ended up violating them despite all of their efforts to comply. That happens from time to time, and you know the SEC, to be clear, does not bring criminal actions against companies or executives for violating the securities laws. It's the Department of Justice that does that, but it is the SEC that calls upon the Department of Justice to bring criminal charges in certain situations, but it must, it almost always involves fraud, securities fraud, which means making misrepresentations or lying to investors. So if you are trying to comply and for whatever reason you're unable to or you made a couple of mistakes, that's a completely different issue. Right. That might be like a fine or a tax. That's right. A fine or you might be required to return all of the money that you raised or you might be required to sign some statement saying that you agree to do this or that to try to make things better with the investors or with the SEC. And as I mentioned earlier, we've actually been involved in some of those situations specifically with companies that have done token sales within the last year. So we've helped negotiate some of these settlement agreements for companies that have been contacted by the SEC and or state securities regulators. So even individual states have securities regulators and some of the states have actually been very active in the crypto space in uh, starting investigations of companies who have done token sales. In particular, the state of Massachusetts, states of Massachusetts and New York. But we also know that New Jersey and Illinois have been investigating some companies who have done token sales for possibly violating their state securities laws. Hmm. 
Yeah, this is a this is a big mess. Like you said, <laughs> they, a lot of clarity is needed around here. Otherwise, I see a lot of uh, ICOs happening from Malta. Yeah, maybe even Puerto Rico. I've I've heard has better laws regarding this because yeah, yeah it's a mess. Too too risky from some states or even from the U.S. at all for some people. Yes, that definitely. But let me just say one word about Puerto Rico. One thing to understand about Puerto Rico is you know there's a little bit of uncertainty there in terms of the regulatory uh, implications of doing a token sale from Puerto Rico because it is possible that SEC has jurisdiction over token sales that originate from Puerto Rico. I mean, one big advantage of Puerto Rico is it has a much lower tax rate uh, than you know, the, ma- uh, the, the mainland of, of, the, of the United States. But in terms of legal implications, it's, it, it, you have to be very careful in assuming that if you do a token sale from Puerto Rico, you can completely escape SEC jurisdiction. That might or might not be the case. Oh, there's a there's an important wrinkle there. <laughs> so Malta, Malta, Singapore, and the islands, and the islands, and the other places, <laughs> not yeah. Puerto Rico, <laughs> Switzerland. Yeah, not Puerto that, Rico. That, that that's that's where a lot of those countries are where a lot of the token sales are now originating from. Binance moved to Malta. Yeah, I want to segue to more of the business side because you said you know you're you advise people or you taught. Um, entrepreneurship and, and structuring businesses and re- regulations or relations with investors. I want to dig a little more into that and how, how how you try to foster success in these companies that you advise and work with. Um, what are the what are some general principles that you bring to the table when you when you come to a company? How like how do you improve maybe let's we can start with company culture for example. How do how do you how do you how do you bring things to the table to to help the company flourish? What are your what are your go to tools that you use? Well, let me talk specifically about blockchain and crypto companies because there are things that we we do specifically with those kind of companies that I think are important to to think about for all blockchain crypto entrepreneurs. The first thing we do is we ask them. Why are you using blockchain? What is the benefit to the users of your product or service in incorporating blockchain and having a blockchain component in that product or service? A second related point is what is your business model specifically with respect to blockchain? How does blockchain enhance your business model, your ability to generate a revenue stream? How is blockchain part of your company's strategy? And how is it going to affect your company's operations when it tries to go implement this business model? How many companies do you think legitimately need blockchain and how many companies added on frivolously for the purpose of maybe doing a token sale or, or something like that that you talk to? So I, I think that earlier, maybe early in 2018, there were more companies that were seeing blockchain as simply a way to go issue tokens and raise money. I think that that trend is fading away. And I think now the... 
the, the level at which people are thinking about the how they're going to use blockchain and why it's important and whether they should even have it is becoming much more important. And I think entrepreneurs are thinking about that very seriously. Investors are asking that question. And even we as lawyers ask that question because if we don't see that business case for using blockchain and for how it's going to be strengthening the company's business model and a strategy, we will actually decline to represent that company. So one thing we do when we meet potential client is we ask them to tell us the and give us answers to all of these questions. We ask them to explain how blockchain is going to be used, why it should be used in the business model, how it's going to enhance the company's strategy and competitive positioning. That's part of our due diligence process. And that is actually one way that from the very beginning, we try to get a head start with companies in terms of increasing their chances of success. Because if they can't answer those questions and if they haven't thought about those questions very seriously, they're going to have trouble being successful even if they can raise some money. Right. Yeah, so in essentially the ICO world for, for quite a bit now, it's been for a lot of companies, even some that don't even have a product, just a big pot of gold, right? Essentially, everybody was just throwing money at it. And it becomes, it's a big pool. You know, if, if, if you need money, if you're starting a company and you're seeing all these other, all these ICOs raising some money to to almost convince yourself that perhaps your product could work on the blockchain, but you're saying that, you know, you're you're asking very particular questions and, and you won't give your legal opinion and essentially put yourself out there if, if you don't see this even from an entrepreneurial standpoint, perhaps really benefiting from blockchain. That's correct. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. And sometimes people ask us, why do you do that? Why don't you just take any client who's willing to pay you money? I guess we could do that, but you know we we're not a fifty person or five hundred person attorney law firm. You know we're very small, and so we need to be selective. We we got a lot of inquiries, and so we feel very fortunate that we can be in this position where we can ask these questions in deciding who we want to work with. Because ultimately, we prefer to work with entrepreneurs and companies who we think are not only going to be successful from purely a business perspective, but also are doing really interesting and innovative stuff. Right. I suppose that that's what makes work rewarding, right? When you get to work with people and projects that are actually contributing something to the world as opposed to just raising money, raising money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that gives you more joy as a, as a, lawyer, you know, getting to work with clients that are actually good people doing good things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I have a hypothetical question that's been bothering me during this conversation about this. So in the future, do you think it'll be possible one day for a company that isn't a blockchain company to issue tokens as a form of fundraising, just like a 
an IPO. Do you think that could be a possibility? And then they admit it, you know, they admit that they're not using blockchain at all. They just simply want to issue tokens as a representation of perhaps equity or whatever, or just, just a different type of fundraising, um, securities fundraising. Do you think that's a possibility or do you think that's only reserved for blockchain companies in perpetuity? That's a good question. It is a possibility. Okay. In fact, it's happening now. We're doing that. Some of our clients are doing that. They really don't have a blockchain component to their company at all. All they're doing is they're issuing security tokens. Okay, they are tokens that are built on top of primarily Ethereum. They're Ethereum tokens, but they have no purpose other than to raise money. But the tokens do not give the holder any sh- equity in the company. They're just, they have other rights, financial and economic rights, but this is happening today. It's not a hypothetical. Okay. It is happening today. Wait, but you mentioned something there that I think it's a wrinkle. I just want to clarify. So they're offering a token, but they're going out of their way to make sure that token is not a security. No. No, it is a security token. It is a security because they're raising money. Okay. Yeah. Explain that. They're admitting it is a security, and they okay. are doing everything they can to follow the securities laws okay. in issuing that token. Well, I can I can see how a company would do that. I've been reading a lot about some of the uh, tokens that are being used for for trading, and I could see how perhaps you know I may wanna if a com- if a company is offering me let's say a share versus a token. Let's let's put like the quintessential example. A lot of tokenization is uh, they're doing things so so there aren't such things as front running so it's more clear how how the tokens get traded and even if i had the option it, it could possibly be that perhaps a lot of this industry starts moving over to tokenization because people come to see tokens as a preferred way of of buying a security is that a possibility am i just making things up do you it, it, it that's right it is a possibility you know, it's very possible. Not not every investor necessarily wants to have equity in a company. There could be reasons why they don't. And certainly from the company perspective, there are many reasons why the company might not want an investor to hold equity in the company. And so they could design a token that is a security but doesn't give the traditional have the traditional characteristics of an equity security so they don't have to dilute their equity and they can no no voting rights would be some of those right no that's voting right. rights no yeah. dividends maybe something like that just to that's right yeah. They don't have to give up their precious equity. Yes. Yes to all of that. (laughs) There's just a wide range of ways that a company can design a security token, dividends or no voting rights, voting rights, no dividends and other things attached to it, warrants for something else, in debt in the company. There, There are other ways that you can design a token that doesn't grant any shares or equity in the company. So essentially, it's like creating shares, but it's you can mix and match all the features that you want and take out all the stuff that you don't want necessarily people to have. So there's tons of benefits. But the, I guess the downside if, is the, the costs and extra regulation involved in doing that. Because that, I mean, that's right. It's like over a million dollars to do an ICO. <laughs> there, there, are, there are options, but it's, you know, there are also potentially some additional costs associated with 
with uh, having those kind of tokens or managing the tokens. So it's you got to think about both the pros and the cons. What do you think the future holds for the U.S. and for other countries? Where do you where do you think where do you think the the regulation the regulations are headed? Where do you think the the crypto world is headed? What are your what are your predictions for 2019 and forward? Well, one thing I'm highly certain we're going to see is the create the emergence of crypto exchanges that will list security tokens. I mean, right now there's not one crypto exchange that will list security tokens, but even in the U.S., it's going to happen. I believe by the end of 2018 or in early 2019. And that's going to change this entire landscape because one of the big concerns that people have about being a security token is not the fact that it's a security, but it's because there's no exchange that will list security tokens right now and that there, that affects the liquidity of the token, which in a negative way, which makes the security token potentially less attractive to purchasers of that security token. But once that barrier falls and crypto exchanges start to list security tokens, the concern about being a security token will become much lesser. So I think that is a big, I would predict that. And I also believe that with that development, the United States will become a much more attractive place from which to launch token sales. Hmm. Because in the end, and I think history bears this out, and I think this is also going to be true with blockchain and crypto, some degree of regulation gives all of the players in the marketplace greater confidence in doing business and entering into transactions. Because you know that there is some framework that governs those transactions, even beyond whatever the smart contract says, beyond what the specific blockchain algorithm says, there is something external to that, which is the regulatory environment that also supports all of this blockchain and crypto activity. So I'm actually very bullish on the future of the United States as an environment in which to do blockchain and crypto business. In the rest of the world, you know, I think in some ways we see sort of a race to the bottom. What I mean by that is countries trying to have regulations about blockchain and crypto, but having extremely relaxed regulations to try to attract business. But in the end, that's probably not going to be what's going to attract companies to go do business there. Right. People want protection. Yeah. Yeah. People do want protection. And I can see maybe so. So there's T0, right? T0, they've said that they're um, essentially made to handle tokens that are securities. And you're saying a company like T0 could be the next wave in in development for for the crypto community, particularly here in the United States? Yes. Uh, yeah, T0 is certainly at the forefront of trying to 
be able to list security tokens and create a market for them. There are other initiatives too, but T0 is probably the best known uh, company that's trying to do that. So we're almost out of time. Do you have anything that you haven't talked about yet that you think the audience needs to hear about? I could talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, could so we, maybe maybe so pick I, one burning one, and then we'll yeah, uh, yeah, we can just, bring you back on when you when you feel ready for the next one. I'm just gonna say one thing that we haven't covered yet, which is I think it's very important in an uncertain regulatory environment, and also in a situation where there's a lot of distrust about blockchain and crypto outside of those communities to do business in an ethical way. That's it. Well, that's, that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, there's, there's definitely been a lot of scams and there's a lot of people looking for certainty. And I would say if, if we want a lot more people to get in that we do need to add uh, some certainty there. Uh, I mean, I don't know what your opinion on that is, Jeff, but that's that's the way I see it. Yeah, I think of it like, you know, the it's kind of the Wild West right now. And the Wild West tends to attract the more adventurous and perhaps more um, nefarious types. And the more regulation you bring in, I think the to a certain extent, the more peace and harmony people will feel. And, and the the institutional investment and more money will follow that once people are comfortable that they won't lose their shirts investing in crypto because right now the headlines are still like you know bitcoin is a scam and stuff and it's 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 something that i would say a lot of people in the community have issues with you know this community is a lot of libertarians a lot of uh, anarchists and they are not happy at all with the SEC putting their noses in any of this and probably any regulation coming along, they think the market will be able to handle that. Um, so it, um, there's, there's, there's a lot that will work itself out, especially here in the United States, uh, probably in the coming months. It'll be interesting to see what the, the future holds. It'll be interesting to see also if uh, Dr. Park's prediction comes true. And I could be like, ooh, he, at the end of 2018, if we see all these security tokens being offered in the news, I'd be like, ooh, Dr. Park predicted that. Yeah, I got <laughs> to find me some T0, some T0 tokens now. Yeah. I'm going to start looking. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is not financial advice, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, uh, Dr. Park, Doug, whatever we call you. It's obvious that you have like a huge depth of knowledge and i think i speak for both of us when i say we learned a lot and you know we would love to have you back on sometime so we can keep picking your brain and learning more about the crypto space and the legal intersection legal and business intersection yes totally there's a lot of wrinkles there that that you could talk about and that a lot of companies are having to deal with it's been a lot of fun this is i really appreciate the opportunity to share some of my thoughts, and I'd be happy to come back sometime uh, when things change, which they will. Yeah. When, when the next big headlines come out, we'll, we can bring you back on to, to discuss yeah, the legal implications. Yeah, this is not going away. Yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, thank you for sitting through the technical difficulties. We'll talk to you next time. Have a great rest of your evening. Thank you for listening to a Bit Cryptic podcast. A Bit Cryptic podcast is hosted by Alain Leon, Dang Du, and myself, Jeff Peterson. Show notes are by our editor-in-chief, Dang Du. Show production and editing is done by the miracle maker, Joanna Marie Nicholas. Website is by Sammy Toucan and his team at Pack Surge Media. Remember, 
Nothing we say in this show is meant to be financial advice. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep it cryptic.